Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, oh, you already know you're in the right place. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers. If you're keeping count... I am. This is episode number 222. We started the show way back. This is the the grandma or the grandpa of all of our Game Changer shows started back on October 5th, 2011. So happy you're joining us today. Well, what can I tell you? Here's the buzz on the street. Yes, it's still the law. Okay. Attention, women entrepreneurs and men. You can listen to, of course. We don't exclude anybody here. Ladies, as you aspire to become million-dollar women, I want to say million-dollar babies, but I don't want anybody to get offended, you have to know that growth brings complexity and with it, it brings risk. What happens to the legalities of doing business? Well, issues are going to crop up often, more often, maybe giving you a headache. And what happens if you don't comply? Well, think dollar signs, ka-ching. We're talking about penalties and they are going to get more and more severe. So in order to cope with common legal issues, we're not talking about anything terribly complex in terms of the law, just some common sense stuff. If you don't know it, well, do you need a law degree? I don't think so. The reason? We have three business attorneys on with us again. This is part two from our show last week, Legal Lessons for Women Business Owners. And instead of starting with the foundation, which we did last week, we're going to talk about leverage and growth. So I hope again you won't mind my saying please take notes because this is good stuff. So let me introduce our stellar panel. First up, we have Nina Kaufman Esquire. She's an SBA Women in Business Champion and the Legal expert on entrepreneur.com so you can check her out there Forbes magazine calls Nina one of the 25 most influential women tweeting about entrepreneurship and if you go to hashtag SAP radio on Twitter right now you will see that Nina is tweeting and she uses the at sign for her handle Nina N-I-N-A Kaufman K-A-U-F-M-A-N you can follow her now Nina sent me an interesting quote from not a person Not a saying, not a movie, not a book, not a whatever. It's from a fortune cookie. This is probably the first fortune cookie that's ever been quoted on Game Changers Radio in four and a half years. But Nina knows I'm going to give background on a fortune cookie. Perhaps you're somewhere else in the world where they don't have fortune cookies. It is a crisp cookie, usually made from all the bad stuff that tastes so good. Flour, sugar, well, vanilla's not too bad, and sesame seed oil, eh, And inside, here's the secret, there's a piece of paper that's a fortune. On on it is written something that's a vague prophecy or a words of wisdom advice, something like that. Uh, They're often served as as a dessert in Chinese restaurants in the U.S. and other countries. But interestingly enough, they don't use them in China. I thought that was fascinating. The exact origins are unclear, although, get this, various immigrant groups in California claim to have popularized fortune cookies in the early 20th century. I'll leave that alone. Nina Kaufman sent me the following quote from her fortune cookie. Why not treat yourself to a good time instead of waiting for someone else to do it? Nina Kaufman, fortune cookie. How are you? (laughs) I am great. And obviously, I don't always have the healthiest of eating habits because that came along with a whole big thing of lo mein and greasy fried things, which were absolutely delicious. 
Thank you. Thank you for the reality check. It's, we go there because it tastes good. That's it, right? It's greasy. It tastes good. It's fun. It smells good. And we get some of us get to use chopsticks. Do you use chopsticks when you're in um, an I, Asian I cuisine? I do. Not terribly well, but I have great fun with it. And I will say that there are some healthy alternatives, but I tend not to go there. There you go. So tell me about this fortune cookie. Why did this fortune stick with you? Or do you have a wall, Nina, where you pin up all these fortunes and look at them? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know you too well, and I've never met you. Okay, we'll have to solve that one. So what is it about this that reminds you of our topic or relates to our topic, business lessons, legal lessons for women entrepreneurs? Nina? Well, I think that as as women are building and growing their businesses, very often they tend to put themselves last in, in the sense of as I'm growing, I need to be all things to all people. Uh, but what we forget is that unless we spend the time to, to give ourselves a good time, this whole journey of leveraging and growing our businesses can be uh, an absolute slog fest. So it's both a reminder that we need to take charge of ourselves and our fun and enjoying the journey as we're leveraging and growing, um, but also just not sitting around waiting for some magical, mystical event in the future to make running our businesses a worthwhile endeavor. I love it. Thank you very much. This is probably one of the lessons that you're going to talk about later in the show. We certainly had a good foundation. Nina, I uh, last week on part one, Nina, I have to thank you for coming up with the topic and assembling this wonderful panel of your colleagues, two other attorneys I'm going to introduce in a moment. I'm very appreciative to you, Nina. Oh, thank no, you for- I'm, I'm delighted to bring my other Wonder Women onto the show. Well, now we know who they are. And by the way, there's rumor that we're going to do a part three. So let's see how far we get today. And then we'll uh, we'll noodle over this. One of my managers at Chase years ago called it noodling over things, talking about Chinese restaurants and fortune cookies. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes, if I remembered her name, I'd do a shout out. But she's probably somewhere else eating a fortune cookie right now. Okay, let me go on first. I would like to introduce our second panelist. She is Nancy L. Schick Esquire. And she spells Nancy N-A-N-C-E if you're looking her up. It's S-C-H-I-C-K. She's an attorney, an arbitrator, a mediator, and a conflict resolution coach based in New York City. She's the founder of The Law Studio of Nancy, N-A-N-C-E-L Schick, where she and her team of employees, vendors, and strategic partners create resolutions using a holistic, integrative approach. I love that. And Nancy has introduced me to somebody I've never heard of. The quote is from Douglas Adams. Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. I had no idea what that was. It's a humorous detective novel written by Douglas Adams, first published back in 1987. So it's been around for a while. It's described by the author on its cover as, get ready for this, kids, thumping good detective ghost horror whodunit time travel romantic music comedy epic. I hope I said that the right way. It was followed by a sequel, The Long Dark Tea Time of the Soul, which apparently he never got to. Oh, yes, he did that one, but he had a third one, The Salmon of Doubt, uh, Douglas Adams' third novel, but he never got to do it because he he, uh, went into the next life and never got to do the third novel. So here's the quote. Part of it is very familiar, but I love the way it ends. If it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, we have at least to consider the possibility that we have a small aquatic bird of the family and not today, hope I said that Latin right, on our hands. Nancy Schick, love the smile on this one. How are you, Nancy? I'm good, Bonnie. Um, yeah, I, I really love this uh, this quote. I'm, I have to admit, however, that I have not read the book. I watched the short-lived British 
comedy um, or the translation of it into a, a British television show on either Hulu or Netflix, and that's how I got introduced to it. I love it. Talk so, to me about if it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck. What are the? Uh, do we have any legal lessons in there, Nancy? Is there any? Are there any gems of legal wisdom? It's, it's <laughs> right on target with what we're talking about today. Is getting yourself into hot water and, with penalties and, and so on. And, and I, I love the quote because I think we all know it. If it looks like a duck, it quacks like a duck, etc. But there's a little bit of a twist here in that. I love that he says we have to consider it. Because I think that's where we go wrong a lot of times, is we take a look, it looks like a duck, it quacks like a duck. We haven't actually done the research to make sure it's a duck. And on our, our call last time on the show last, last week, we talked about how that shows up in worker classification, and that's definitely a hot topic right now. So I wanted to bring that back into the conversation today, but maybe with a little bit of a twist of, how we can go a little bit deeper and not just think that we know everything. And I think that shows up for small business owners also. It's that fear of admitting that you don't know things, that you have Mm -hmm. a lot to learn because you're operating a business. And I'm asking people to just kind of get over that. You're never going to know all of it. And the best thing you can do is put people around you to support you and constantly tweak, constantly explore. Mm -hmm. Nancy, thank you. Very insightful. I'm going to ask you a question, if I may. The flip side, if, I, if I'm hearing what you're saying, the flip side is that not only do people not want to admit they don't know it, but very often we think we know it. It's not a question even of admitting. It's we think. Well, my friend who had a company similar to mine did this, or I'll talk to somebody on the tennis court or at the gym, and they'll give me advice, and that should work. Do you think there's that element of I can solve it easily because I know somebody who went through this or because I read about it online. Do you think there's part of it there? Absolutely. And I see that, unfortunately, far too much when I'm then turning around and either having to dissolve a business, go into litigation for someone, resolve their conflict as an arbitrator or mediator, or negotiate with the state regarding the penalties. So it's definitely about as as you mentioned, I'm a holistic attorney, so I look beyond the obvious. And that's even down to what are the motivations in the individuals. And, and sometimes we don't even know what they are. It's, it's that fear of, oh, if, if I let people know I don't know everything, then mm-hmm. they're going to think I'm not good at what I do. And that's exactly where you're going to get yourself in hot water. Don't pretend that you know things when you don't. Thank you very much. Great insights and great quote. Really appreciate it. And thanks for introducing me, maybe in my spare time. <laughs> I will look it up and find the novel and read it. Sounds sounds wacky and quacky and, and fun. And we all need fun reading, don't we, Nancy? Thank you so much. And rounding out our panel today is Renee L. Duff, Esquire. Let me tell you about Renee. She has a private practice, Renee L. Duff, PC, catering to small businesses, entrepreneurs, and other, I love this, other creative individuals who have intellectual 
intellectual property assets as the main focus of their business. Renee has been an intellectual property attorney for 17 years, maybe before the term was even created, I don't know, and has been involved in the business side of intellectual property for over 25 years. Renee sent me a quote from Jim Rohn, or Ron, R-O-H-N. Let me tell you a bit about him. Uh, He lived from 1930 to 2009. His full name was Emmanuel James, nicknamed Jim Rohn, R-O-H-N. He started out as a stock clerk for Sears, the department store Sears, way back in the day. And then he went on to become involved with NutraBio, a direct selling company, and Abundavita, uh, which was John Earl Schoff's direct selling company. I'm sure you're not interested in this, but here's the kicker. He was invited to speak at his Rotary Club after one of these companies went out of business. People liked him so much. They started inviting him to speak at events. In 1963, just three years later, he held a public seminar at the Beverly Hills Hotel, woohoo, and he went on to present seminars teaching his personal developed philosophy all over the United States. In the 70s, he was working as a seminar presenter for Standard Oil. And it's interesting that if you want to know a list of the people he mentored, ready for this? He mentored Mark Hughes, founder of Herbalife International. He mentored Tony Robbins, yes. Uh, others include Mark Victor Hansen and Jack Canfield, Chicken Soup for the Soul book series, author lecturer Brian Tracy, and T. Harv Eker. So he is somebody who took something he thought he knew about and developed it and developed it and developed and got in front of people. Talk about an entrepreneur. But here's the quote. Whoever renders service to many puts himself in line for greatness, great wealth, great return, great satisfaction, great reputation, and great joy. Renee Duff, this sounds like a perfect quote for what you do for a living in your private practice. How are you, Renee? I'm excellent. Thanks, Bonnie. And yes, you're correct. That's why I love this quote so much, because... um, it ties into intellectual property all around um, because when you can render service to many, a lot of times you have um, entrepreneurs who are experts in their field or in their industry, but you know there's only 24 hours in a day, so you can only reach on an individual personal basis, you know, so many people before you know everything taps out at a max. But by Putting things into books and to seminars, which is exactly what Jim Rohn did, um, mm-hmm. you know, you can reach thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of people, and you can even do that while you know you're not, you don't ever have to actually speak to these people, but they're influenced by what you've created. So it's you know it all ties in, and it makes me very happy to <laughs> to see all that. I love it. And what I loved about this, Renee, you, you know by now, and the panel knows I love to look up the sources of the quotes when I don't recognize the person. Uh, fascinating that he started out as a stock clerk at Sears. Isn't that equivalent back in the day to starting out in the mailroom of a huge company and then going on to some kind of greatness? And greatness is such an important word for him. Renee, thanks for that introduction, and thank you for uh, cluing me in about Jim Rohn. Do you pronounce it Rohn or Ron, by the way? I believe it's Rohn, but um, I'm not 100% sure. We'll stick with that. For the purposes of today's show, we're calling him Jim Rohn. Thank you very much. Ladies, it's time for a little bit of what are you drinking today, what's in your cup today part of our show. So let me circle back to Nina Kaufman. Nina, first of all, are you in New York today? And if you are, I know you're enjoying the same gorgeous weather we are here on Long Island. But where are you and what are you drinking that's special? Where am I? I am in midtown Manhattan and, yes, enjoying this glorious crisp spring morning. And I am drinking uh, a product through Isogenics, speaking of network marketing, uh, called Ionic Supreme. And it is an adaptogen. 
which essentially helps the body deal with stresses and, let's say, complexities in today's modern world. Um, it's a, a nutrient-rich botanical natural mm. drink that is green. And so I love it because it actually tastes a little sweet, so I feel like I'm getting something good, but it's tasting good and not just like, I don't know, spinach. Um, <laughs> but it also really helps with mental clarity, getting rid of some of the sluggishness from last night's french fries, and all good things. <laughs> and, and maybe there was a fortune cookie with the french fries there last night, Nina. Cookie in there too. I, <laughs> I have a feeling. Talk about mental clarity. I don't know. But thank you for that. Very interesting. You go ahead and drink that. I'm glad it tastes sweet. I, by the way, put a lot of uh, Parmesan cheese when I prepare spinach for dinner. I'll take oh. frozen spinach and microwave it just till it thaws and put it in a pan with some good olive oil, a little bit of uh, Johnny seasoned salt, the magic salt that I first discovered when I lived in Eugene, Oregon, and now I buy it online. It's fabulous. No MSG, no MSG. And then I'll, I'll sprinkle a Parmesan cheese over the top. And yeah, it I'm just, coming over for dinner. Th- you'll, t- tonight, it's fine. <laughs> Six o'clock, we'll make a place for you at the table. Oh, you're all invited. It just tastes fantastic. You don't turn it. You don't mix it up. You just let the Parmesan kind of settle in. It doesn't get crusty, but it just coats the top. Put it in a big pan so it's a thin spread. Enough of Bonnie's recipes. Thank you. Nina Elschick, where are you today and what are you drinking? Hi, Bonnie. Um, I am not actually drinking this, but um, I definitely know that you do your research. So I wanted to see what you find about this lovely gift I got from my boyfriend's cousin. It's Gold Medal I.W. Harper Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. I know a little bit about it um, based on my own research. Uh, When I saw that it was from Louisville, Kentucky, where I'm from, I had to look into it. My mom worked at Seagram's and Four Roses, so we definitely have a bourbon family. Wow. And, wow. and I learned that the, uh, that the founders of this particular brand were the Bernheim family. My family grew up on Bernheim Lane, and we used to go hiking when I was a kid in Bernheim Forest, which I've now learned is a private land that has been donated for the purpose of the community to use it. So I learned a little bit about the family and the background of the brand, but don't really know much about the brand, and I've been holding it waiting for something special. Well, it is something special. As a matter of fact, I'm attempting to look it up right now, but in order to get to their website, into their website, you won't believe this, and maybe you will, Nancy, because being a lawyer, probably nothing surprises you. I have to register that I'm over 18 years old and of legal (laughs) drinking age in order to get into their website. I kid you not. This is serious business. The bottles are gorgeous. I.W. Parker, uh, Harper, and it says, A Legend is Born, and we've got markers here from 1870, 1848, 2015. I'm looking at history. It doesn't tell me much. I, oh, here we go. I.W. Harper brand has been a long, taken a long and remarkable journey with one important chapter being prohibition. Vital to this era and throughout whiskey's heyday were the vehicles commonly used for transporting goods, including spirits. The I.W. Harper 1928 Ford Model A, located at the Stitzwell Stitzel Weller Distillery in Louisville, Kentucky, gives a nod to the brand's premium quality withstanding the test of time. What do you think of that? Interesting? Very interesting. And and I forgot to mention that the the bottle I have was taken from a family member's home, and it still has the 
IRS tax strip on it. This has never oh. been opened. It's got that old red strip on it. Um, so we know that it's pretty old, but I've been I've been afraid to open it because it seems so special. I don't take know a lot it of could pictures. Even be worth something. <laughs> take a lot. Take a lot of pictures. Look on eBay or, or Etsy or somewhere. Uh, on March 19, twenty fifteen, last year, one year ago, I W Harper was welcomed home in quotes at an inaugural launch event held at the Bernheim Forest in Clear. Clearmony, C-L-E-R-M-O-N-Y, Kentucky. Special guest and bourbon historian, I didn't know they had those, Mike Veach, toasted the brand's 142-year legacy and its celebrated return to the U.S. Sounds like they were on hiatus. Uh, Veach is a renowned bourbon aficionado, author, educator, and historian who wrote the following detailed history on the legend. Here we go. There's a there's a book that he wrote on the I.W. Harper bourbon leg- legend. So there you go. Now you've got your reading assignment. No fortune cookies for you, Nancy. You have to come back and tell us more on Part three, but I W Harper. I leave you to your devices. And now that's so far so good. Renee Duff. Oh, I don't know if you can beat those two. We've got some pretty interesting drinks here. Renee, what are you drinking today? <laughs> well, I have a couple things going on here. I'm I'm drinking this Allegro Spring Clean Detox Tea because, as we were saying earlier, it is beautiful here in New York, and it made me uh, want to uh, you know think about spring cleaning myself as well as any. Uh, <laughs> I've never heard it put quite that way, spring spring cleaning yourself. Uh, Allegro Spring Detox Tea, orders over $20, ship free at iHerb, I-H-E-R-B dot com. Uh, they also have Allegro Coffee. Did you know that? I did not. It's funny. I don't drink coffee. It is one of those things I never acquired a taste for. And I said if I never got it in law school, I was probably never going to get a taste for coffee. Wow. Well, there's all kinds of places you can go, including AllegroCoffee.com. There's nothing like spring cleaning to get your loving home in order. Sparkling windows, gleaming floors, and a burst of spring air set the stage for domestic harmony and a fresh start to the season. Our organic spring clean detox tea is like spring cleaning for your body. Organic green tea, nettle leaf, dandelion leaf, echinacea root, astragalus root, blended with natural sweet lemon and a touch of maple. Creates a gentle, renewing flavor. Enjoy a cup and see if you don't just start feeling neat as a pin. Do you feel neat as a pin, Renee, from tip to toe? I don't know about need as a pin, but um, I'm feeling pretty good. (laughs) I'm so glad you are. And all I have here is cool, clear Brita filtered water in a little mug. And I chose a, it's like a salmon colored pink straw because I didn't have any more yellow straws. And I'm celebrating the sunshine outside here. I'm on Long Island, New York on the North Shore in Great Neck. And I'm sharing the same beautiful weather as the three of you. So ladies, we're going to take a break. You can have a sip of anything you want. Nina can have a bite of her fortune cookie. I'm never going to let that one go. And we're coming back with real legal lessons for women business owners. And by the way, to our listeners around the world, if you think attorneys can't have fun, you're sadly mistaken because we just proved it. We have three, they're not just lawyers, they're not just seasoned legal experts. They're fun and interesting people and I love talking to them. Nina Kaufman Esquire, Nancy L. Schick Esquire, and Renee L. Duff Esquire. Nina, we need a middle initial for you. we got to get you L, it's to join. Also L. All three of us have L. Is that amazing? Oh, my God. And I'm Bonnie D. So we're carrying our middle initials wherever we go. That's what women should do, I think. It's just like a purse or earrings or a diamond ring. Take it wherever you go. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We have a lot more to come. Legal Lessons for Women Business Owners, Part 2. So, Justin, take us out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. 
Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase, an SAP company, offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Welcome back. We're on part two of Legal Lessons for Women Business Owners and Everyone Else. If you haven't started taking notes yet, you missed some really good stuff. But let's get started into our lessons. Nina L., we now have a middle initial. We discovered a lot about her today and her fortune cookies and her penchant for good tasting greasy food. Nina has sent me the following comments. We're going to pick one less legal lesson from each each of our attorneys on the panel, and then we're going to go around the table and get everybody to comment. We're going to do it very fast, so we cover a lot. So take notes, get ready, or just download the podcast when it comes up later. So Nina starts out with, when websites are not just online brochures, and she says, you may want to expand your business by offering educational programs or products that people can purchase online. Nina, where's the business lesson here, please? Well, there's a big business lesson. You know, Whenever you think of anything goes wrong, people say, there ought to be a law. Well, you know what? There are. So unscrupulous people tried you know, reaching out to kids under 13. There's a law about that. Uh, anytime you're collecting email addresses and you use them improperly, well, there's, an, uh, there's a law about that. Uh, there are a whole host of privacy and security regulations around financial matters and financial documents and credit cards. So if you're using your website for any kind of business engine, whether it's, uh, again, collecting contact information, selling a product where you've got shopping carts weaved in, um, maybe you're thinking about, hmm, doing some sort of contest or promotion, there's a law about that because at some point along the line, someone got burned and they called their congressman and said, there ought to be a law, and then there was a law passed. So unfortunately, those things are constantly changing, and you need to think about that each time you're getting involved with, again, collecting sensitive or private information, and you want to make sure that if you're using your website as a business engine, that it is well-functioning and you're doing it in a safe way for you. Very interesting. One thing I'm going to pick up here and ask you a question before we get Nancy and Renee to comment. Can mm-hmm. people comment on your blog? There's a law about that. What's wrong with just saying, okay, you know, you very often people put a blog site up on WordPress or other sites that are free, looks like, kicks like, quacks like a website, and then they say allow comments with or without a moderator, somebody behind the scenes vetting them or saying, well, it's not bad language. We can let it go. What's the kick there? What happened? What's the law? 
That's a really great question, Bonnie, because one of the things that happens, and there's a distinction made between are you just sort of a conduit for this kind of information and, 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 uh, and commenting, or are you a publisher who has control over what goes out? And that's where it's very important to, to make sure that to some degree, particularly because it reflects back on your own reputation, you're doing something to monitor the comments that are, that are there because mm-hmm. you could get into a world of hurt when it comes to uh, hate speech and racial issues that are, are just completely take you away from your business, from your reputation and the thought leadership that you may be wanting to share with the rest of the world by having that blog. So that's where just having some guidelines and talking to someone about understanding What's the process? How are we going to have a system for monitoring these things? Can really help you save you a lot of time and hurt. That's a wow. That's a big wow because who doesn't do that today? And and I've taught blogging at my local adult ed program and never thought twice about it. I I mm-hmm. didn't think I was giving a, a potentially legal. Uh, license to people without, you know, I'm not a, anyway, not teaching business law, but very interesting. Nancy Schick, talk to me. What do you think about this? Agree, disagree? Any expansion on this? Uh, the, the main expansion I'll, I'll, I'll make is that I, I do have a blog on my website, and I monitor the comments. And sometimes some people might think that that's inauthentic or disingenuous because I'm monitoring them, but it's for exactly the reasons that Nina brought up. It's, it's part of my brand. It's part of what I feel responsible to allow out into the universe and into people's lives. So I, I take responsibility for what people say in response to comments on my blog. And, and often what I'll do is I'll reach out to the person who made the comment to get some clarification before I repost or decide that I'm not going to use the content. Thank you. Very interesting. Renee L. Duff, love to get your POV on this, please. Um, there are so many things here. Um, I agree. And what, um, what comes to mind for me, is, at least as far as intellectual property side of things, is, is that when you have a website, you do need to be aware of using other people's intellectual property on your website. Mm-hmm. Or if you mm-hmm. are also allowing comments or other people to post things, um, you have to be aware that you may be contributorily, in, you know, infringing a lot by allowing those posts to appear. So there is actually um, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act created a um, a safe harbor provision where you can actually register um, a designation of agent to receive notices of claimed infringement, and this will help you mitigate <laughs> possibly anything that you might be responsible for. But, um, you know, that is something to keep in mind, that you do, you know, you may be responsible for what other people put up there. So if somebody's throwing logos and, you know, wholesale content of other people's onto your website or into your blog, um, you need to monitor that, and that's why it is a good idea to, to monitor. And, yes, some people may call it disingenuous, but you're also protecting yourself from potential liabilities on that intellectual property side. And, Bonnie, can and, I just jump in with yes. one more thing? Sure. Um, for any business owners that also have employees, and this kind of ties into Nancy's area of expertise, it's really important to give them guidelines for what it is that they can and cannot post on the blog, what are the circumstances, and, and for having a system for either looking at those comments or posts before they actually go live 
so that everyone understands what is the purpose of the blog, what is the, the tone that you want to set so that your employees aren't unwittingly getting you into either intellectual property or, or other kinds of conflicts with the, mm-hmm. the things that they're posting on your blog. Good, good point. I'm just going to make a quick side note before we move on. Uh, sometimes uh, I, and I'm sure all of you, will get a referral from someone to a video on YouTube, whether it's a music video or some amazing two-and-a-half-year-old who is playing the piano with both hands and covering eight octaves with a monkey on her shoulder who's singing, you know, all this good stuff. And or somebody, the greatest and greatest, you know, somebody who's a knockoff of Ariana Grande and they're beautiful and they're a great singer and they're great. And you have to see this and wow. And you go and you read the comments on YouTube, obviously unfiltered, the nastiness, the language, the, mm. the typos, the, I, I'm not going to say disgusting, I, I'm not judging, but sometimes even I am shocked at the blatant use of it as a platform for expressing completely unfiltered personal opinions. Maybe this is what makes YouTube so famous, and I'm not a prude, but I have seen stuff that not only makes me blush, I just want to rip the page off of my computer. It's just, so there's no filtering on a lot of sites. How do they get away with that? Nina, quickly, how does YouTube get away with allowing completely unfiltered, ridiculously horrific comments on their site and not taking them down? Well, the way that YouTube gets away with it is by not filtering and not filtering oh. anything they really are just the conduit. So they, because how can you possibly monitor, uh, you know, eight years of content being posted every day? There is so mm. much. So they, they sort of wash their hands of it, and that's part of what Renee was talking about in terms of safe harbors under uh, other laws as well. I think it's, is it the Communications Decency Act, Renee? Um, that where if you're simply allowing yourself people to, you're providing the platform for people to post the information, but you're not providing any editorial discretion as to what's going on, then in a way you, you, you get a bit of a, a free pass. But it also means oh. you get a lot of that um, very open and free expression. Oh, thank you for putting on a wide it that spectrum. way. I appreciate it. Okay, let's move on. Nancy Elshick, I've got one from your list of notes here. I mentioned this in the opening. That's why I picked this one. You say the penalties for noncompliance with the multitude of laws, rules, and regulations are severe, severe penalties. And here's the kicker for those of you who are entrepreneurs or are thinking about becoming one. And the penalties could bankrupt a small business, if not also the business owner or owners, plural. And there are a lot of ways this can happen. Nancy, you want to give us a quick overview, please? Very interesting topic. Yeah, I think one of the the topics, obviously, we keep talking about is the worker misclassification. And I'm dealing a lot with that here in New York where, in particular, with the Workers' Compensation Board, an administrative agency that most people just kind of dismiss. I don't know if the the board is a little um, perturbed about that, that they don't like being dismissed and they're taking it out on mm-hmm. people or what the, what the issue is. But, but really, the you know, all joking aside, the law uh, is, is written that you are required to cover your employees in New York for workers' compensation. So that would be for work-related injuries. And what happens, of course, we've been talking about this, is, is people try to lower their costs, they talk to their accountant, their accountant says, oh, make them an independent contractor, you'll save all this money. And that all sounds great, so a lot of people love that, and they don't run that by an attorney. Mm-hmm. And what's happening is the compensation board is getting claims by these alleged independent contractors, 
and they don't have any insurance to cover them, when they look a little deeper, they find out that these people are not true independent contractors. So the state has to look at where they can recoup the losses. So they start doing audits, and they start to discover all of the misclassification. And if you've made that kind of error, really we talked about this last week also, it's $2,000 for every 10-day period that you don't have coverage for someone who is your employee. You start doing the math, that adds up very quickly. And I can give you a, 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 also an example where yeah. they do a look back for multiple years. I've got a client that barely makes maybe $50,000, we'll just say hypothetically, without revealing too much of, of, of the situation. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty low-value business that's being run out of, out of someone's home. They've been using these alleged independent contractors the board sent them a penalty notice for more than $500,000. Oh, 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 $500,000. Yeah, now it's starting to get your attention, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's a half a million, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> okay, just just trying to yeah, put dude. those, uh, yeah, that's kind of and serious. So, so what's the recourse? So what we do in those situations is I, you know, I go back with the, various employers, and we go through everything to, again, in the, in the board's defense, they're not in your business. So, you know, they're not in the day-to-day. They don't understand how it works necessarily. These are not business owners. These are people that work for the state in an administrative agency. So what typically I can do in those situations, and I'm doing in this, in this particular case and several others, is we're going back and explaining to the board why each one of these individuals is is a true independent contractor. But I'll admit that some of these are going to be gray. And ultimately, then, you're at the mercy of the Workers' Compensation Board because you didn't take the time to make sure that you were setting it up properly in the first place because I, I get it. Like, as a small business owner myself, you're yeah. running around, again, with your, you know, like the chicken with your head cut off, just trying to get the income in, trying to keep the cash flow, make sure your employees get paid, make sure the lights stay on, make sure the product's moving, all of that. But these are the kinds of mistakes that you just can't afford to make. So you've got to slow down. You've got to set things up properly, and it's back to the quote of don't assume that just because it looks like a duck and quacks like it's a duck that it actually is a duck. Absolutely. And you know, Nancy, I confided in you, and it's really not a secret that I've been teaching part-time, very part-time over 10 years for the local adult education program. And they recently notified me that I can no longer be what we call an independent contractor or consultant because I don't have a business tax ID anymore. I gave up my, my corporate status years ago. And they sent me a packet that must have been a half inch thick with over 14 forms to sign tax information, direct deposit policies. I have to, I have to become an employee of the board of education of New York and that no longer suits my purposes. So I have bowed out. I've given up something I love because they're protecting themselves, but I'm also saying I don't want to play at that uh, on the table anymore. So kind of sad, but you have to make those decisions sometimes. Okay. Renee Duff, let's hear from you on what Nancy just brought up. Thoughts? Wow, you know, it is, you hear all of this stuff um, from workers' compensation, and it it, it is, um, there's a lot of these hidden things that you think, okay, well, this is the easy way, or this is how I just want to classify this person, but we've, you know, I've seen it in, even in law firms, that, you know, it happens where you have lawyers who, 
you're classifying as contractors or 1099 employees, and they are not necessarily that. So, um, you know, it's it's a hard uh, lesson to learn, and oftentimes it seems like it is the um, it's the the lowest as as Nancy was talking about. It's like the low value or the low compensated person that has that causes the problem. So you have to be very careful about those things. Okay, let's circle back. Thank you to Nina Kaufman. Nina, thoughts on this one? Um, yes, I would say there, um, as a business owner, <clears throat> one of the important distinctions to keep in mind is that you're not just doing the work of the business. You also need to be managing and guiding the business. And very often when small business owners get set up, they say, oh, I went to LegalZoom and I did my incorporation or my LLC and, and that's great, I'm done. Well, actually, not so much. Uh, one of the things that people will look at to see, mm, can they sue you personally, even if you mm-hmm. have a corporation or a limited liability company, mm-hmm. is to look at, well, did you actually get an, an employer identification number? Did you set up a separate bank account? Mm-hmm. Uh, are you making sure to keep uh, you know, personal transactions and things like that separate from your business bank account? Have you done your annual minutes and the, and the legal formalities that are required every year? Uh, or even, for example, if you're signing a lease for space in many cases, uh, landlords will want you to sign a personal guarantee. And that's kind of an end run around the, the form that you've created. So it says, well, yeah, 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 I know you're a corporation, but I can still get to your pockets anyway. So those are all things to look at to make sure that, you know, you, you haven't done one piece of it, but not the others. You, you don't want your protections to be like Swiss cheese. Nina, we're not trying to tell people don't become entrepreneurs and, and start that business that's a gleam in your eye and change the world and disrupt the status quo because legal issues are so many and so complex and possibly convoluted. We're trying to educate them. I just want to make sure you agree that the purpose of, of this particular topic is to say, not say, watch your back, you're always going to get in trouble and have an extra <laughs> half a million in the bank because somebody's going to come after you and say, quick, write a check for 500000 You did a bad thing. Not that, but in, in fact, be aware. Isn't that really what we're trying to say, all three of you? We're saying be aware that there are complexities that you cannot just brush under the rug, sweep under the rug, make go away. Would you agree with that, Nina? Absolutely. And I would also add to that, Bonnie, that the most important thing in Stepping up and saying, yes, I want to be a business owner is not just I want to change the world, but how, but making sure that you've got the mindset to have the right team around you so that mm-hmm. they can tell you all these things and you don't have to worry about it just being on your shoulders alone to figure it out. Yep, you can't you can't be the solopreneur who's in a box on a hill somewhere in an ivory tower or a hermit off and somewhere doing it all by yourself. You got to come out and talk to people eventually. Now, Renee L. Duff Esquire, let's look at some of your intellectual property myths and facts. I have a good one. These are topics we didn't get around to last time, and let's see. Here's one I like the best. The myth is, if you use a certain number of words from someone else. You don't need permission of the copyright owner. What's the truth on this? <laughs> oh, I love that one. I love it. I love it. But, oh, but I used, you know, only five words or 500 words. I've heard everything from literally five to a thousand I can just use on my own. Um, the truth really is that if you are taking somebody else's work, then you need to get permission from them. 
the copyright laws provide the owner of the copyright with this bundle of rights. And that's the benefit that that copyright owner gets by creating and putting that work into a tangible form. But one of, or a couple of those rights are you either have the right to allow people to do things with your work or not allow people to do things with your work. And it's your decision. So, um, you know, you may allow some people to do things with your work because you want, you know, the, the, the extra um, notoriety or the whatever that partnership or by allowing someone to give that out to the world, or you have the absolute right to say no. Um, and it's always better, in my opinion, to get permission. I mean, sometimes, you know, because then you're going to know 100%, because you don't want to put yourself in the position of saying, oh, well, I think I can use X number of, uh, of words and I'm fine, and then all of a sudden you get a cease and desist letter or, you know, what's very common for um, a lot of entrepreneurs is you use photos or you use video parts or you use songs and you think, oh, you know, nobody's going to come after me. And then, you know what, somebody does find it. And then they're coming after you for not just what you would have owed them, but statutory damages. So that is always a, the best practice is to just get the permission. Renee, can you give, that's great information. I want, can you give us a concrete example? Are we talking about, now listen, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest here. I'm quoting the three of you on Twitter like crazy. I've sent out about 20 quotes since we started. And I'm saying things from your notes that you sent me. So I have it in front of me in a Word document, word for word. And I have to paraphrase in some cases to fit the 140 character limit on Twitter. We all know that. Am I violating any copyright by quoting Renee L. Duff and Nancy Elshick? And thank God you all have the same middle initial and Nina L. Kaufman. <laughs> am, am I violating it? Should I stop right now? Seriously. Where, is, where does fair use come into play? Where, what is the venue or where does this apply? Fair use usually comes into play for something like a news broadcast or, you know, a something that is a very um, simple, you know, usage. And in this case, you know, we've all agreed to speak to you. So, you know, we've given you our consent to, okay. to you know, to quote us and to use our information and all of that. So, you know, there's, there's, a, there's implied consent and then there's actual consent. And a lot of times, you know, what we're talking about is the, the instance of actual consent if you want to use, you know, a paragraph or a chapter from somebody's book. Um, or you want to use a, a photograph that, um, you know, for a cover of your book or for, you know, to illustrate your blog. I mean, there's plenty of, of services out there now that provide licenses, um, you know, to use X number of photos on a, on a basis or you, you buy credits which allow you to use, you know, whatever you want. So it's always a really good idea to just, you know, make sure that you, you have the rights that you're that you're seeking uh, to use. Thank you very much. becomes an issue with so much free information and graphics available on the web, and sometimes you pretend you don't see that little thing that says, you have to pay for this image before you use it on your book cover. Yes, we all know about that one. Nina L. Kaufman, what do you think about Renee just shared in terms of fair use and copyrighted material? What's your position? Well, I, I think it makes a lot of sense, and I liken it to, uh, do you remember being on a playground in the sandbox? You know, and you bring your your little shovel and your pail, and maybe somebody else brought, oh, I don't know, a really fun dumpster truck. Well, if you, my feeling is if you didn't bring it into the sandbox, even if you see it online, it's not yours to take home. 
you need to ask. So if you're in the sandbox with the kid with the dumpster truck, you don't just reach and take the truck and take it home. You say, can I play with your truck? And I think a similar thing happens or should happen here, and that's, those are really the, the best practices to, to keep you out of trouble. Um, one thing, for example, when it comes to the work that you're doing, Bonnie, is if you're doing something like in this context where there's, there's marketing involved, there's co-promotion, mm-hmm. sometimes just setting it out in an email or a letter to say, you know, you give us permission to retweet, to quote you, to do whatever we need to do to publicize this particular episode can be what you need. It's really just making sure that you have, you both have a clear understanding and you've gotten the right permission about how you're going to be using the, the information that's shared. Thank you very much. I don't have a half a million in the bank right now, ladies, so be gentle, please. Uh, let's <laughs> turn to Nancy Helschick. Thoughts on permission to use. What's your position? What do you tell your clients? I'm definitely of the mindset of ask for permission. Um, I, I totally understand. I've worked in in environments where it's you know they say it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. That does not apply in intellectual property. <laughs> so uh, I love though that you brought back um, Bonnie the the conversation around. We're not trying to discourage you from going into business. And sometimes as lawyers, we have to scare you a little bit to get you to pay attention to the issues that can get you into hot water. But, again, it goes back to we're on this, on this show to let you know that there are great people out there that you can build a team around you and you can succeed. But you're not going to be you. able to do it alone. And I think that's the message we're trying to get across to you. And, and that's a great message is uh, no man, no woman, no entrepreneur is an island. If I can if I can quote an old song, I remember the song. I think maybe one or two of you do too. Okay, uh, I'm going to pick one more myth from Renee because we didn't cover a lot of these last time and I want to, want to do some fairness here, Renee. So this is an interesting one to me and I think a lot of people fall into the trap of this myth. The quote is the myth, because I paid someone to create a logo for me, I automatically own all the rights to that logo. Fact or fiction? Why don't you burst this one quickly for us, Renee, and then we're going to go to our predictions round. Renee? Um, That's also fiction because, um, you know, just because you've paid somebody to create a logo for you, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you own all those rights. Um, You know, works for hire cover a very specific and a narrow group of works, and if you don't fall within that very specific and narrow group of works, then you really need to, um, to make sure that you have an agreement, whatever that is, that they will be transferring all of their rights to you. Um, so that way you can go ahead and register it as the owner as, you know, of a copyright, and you can go ahead if you need to um, file for it as a trademark at the trademark office. But um, you really, you need to be clear on that. I've had clients, you know, in that situation where they thought they were having artwork created for them and they owned everything and, you know, and then they got into, you know, uh, a legal fight with the, uh, with the graphic designer. And that's mm. not something that you want to, you know, to necessarily do, especially at the beginning of a business. 
Interesting. That applies to two entrepreneurs, if I'm thinking this the right way, Renee, the small business that wants a logo and the entrepreneurial graphic designer, contractor, independent consultant, call him or her what you wish, who is also a small business owner who also wants rights for the intellectual property they create for someone as as work product for hire. Very interesting. A lot of sides to this. Ladies, we definitely have to have part three. We just, next time we'll do less on the drinks and more on the myths and all (laughs) All that good stuff. Just too much fun. We're going to take this on the road one of these days. I know we are. Okay, it's time for our predictions. Legal lessons for women business owners. We've been talking about leverage and growth. As you grow, your business becomes complex. More risk is exposed. You're exposed to more risk. Uh, you can't do it alone. I think those are our main messages. But don't stop being the wonderful entrepreneur you are or you aspire to be. Just get the right advice so it doesn't cost you a couple of million or even a half a million. We Too few of us have that. We're not million-dollar babies, most of us. I don't know. At least I'm not. So, Nina L. Kaufman, let's look at the year 2020 or some other time. You can see in the crystal ball and the beautiful blue sky and sunshine in New York City today. And tell me, how far in the future can you look and what will change for, let's make it very specific, for business law, business legal lessons for women entrepreneurs. I can give you exactly one minute, Nina, go. And I will take it. Um, what I would say <laughs> that's going to happen is the, the whole idea of how lawyers are charging and the kinds of relationships that people have with them is going to shift, that it's going to be much less of the, the old-fashioned, uh, you know, I'm the one in charge of all of the information and I'm kind of dribbling it out to you bit by bit. Uh, more and more, lawyers are going to become more and better strategic partners with their clients. Uh, and that's really the expertise that they're going to, to share and be charging for. Documents, as we already know, we're starting to see it with LegalZoom and other places. You can pretty much download those and commoditize them and automate their, their, their creation. So that's not going to have quite as much value, but it's really the strategic thinking and the identification of issues that's going to be so valuable for business owners. Thank you very much. You can't just sit there and dream about it. you got to be smart about it. And let's go to Nancy L. Schick, Esquire. Nancy, how far in the crystal ball can you look ahead, and what do you see? One minute, please. Actually, 30 seconds. 30 seconds. I'm almost out of time. 30 seconds. All right. I'm going to go really quickly. Um, I really love what Nina said about the legal profession changing. I'm definitely on board with that. I think what we're going to continue to see are parties in, in conflict, look for ways outside of the courts to resolve those conflicts. It's going to save them money. It's going to save them relationships. The courts aren't going to go away. So all you litigators out there that are worried about your business, don't worry. People will still be in conflict and still go to court. But there's going to be a whole opportunity for people that can help others communicate more effectively and resolve their disputes on their own. Thank you very much, Renee Elduff. 30 seconds for you. Go ahead. You know what, I'm just going to read a quote that I have on my bulletin board here that goes to all of what we were just saying by Abraham Lincoln, which says, discourage litigation, persuade your neighbors to compromise wherever they can. As peacemaker, as a peacemaker, the lawyer has a superior opportunity of being a good man. There will still be business enough, which goes to, look, you know what, I think exactly what, um, what Nancy said there's always going to be conflict, but people are going to be looking for different ways to handle it. And exactly what Nina said, the legal profession has to change because the, the billable hour model doesn't really seem to work for a lot of people. So we all have to create um, a better system that you know, works for everyone, including the lawyers, because we, you know, we provide that advisory role, but we also have the expertise and 
hopefully can come to a, a nice uh, conclusion that uh, we can all work together. Thank you very much. Ladies, I have a suggestion in my crystal ball. I see the opportunity for a three-attorney starring show to replace The Good Wife. I love the litigation models they used. for. A lot of them were entrepreneurs as well as big behemoth companies fighting little contractors. Over the years, the series is ending soon because the showrunners only planned a seven-year arc. If you're not familiar with it, go take a look. Some really interesting courtroom scenes and behind-the-scenes battles at the at the business table. So I I think that the three of you could uh, pitch a three-women attorney with legal lessons in a great drama and be the next superstars of the legal procedural. What do you think of that? Don't even answer me. I'm Bonnie G. Graham. Thank you to <laughs> Nina L. Kaufman. We'll, talk, we'll have lunch. Nancy L. Schick and Renee L. Duff, all Esquires, all smart, all savvy. Thank you, ladies, for your time, your expertise, and your camaraderie and sense of humor. I love doing this. There will be a part three. Justin and the Business Channel team, thank you. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today and tomorrow and always. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.